I hope you all have had a great day. Um, last night, we talked about our posture before the Lord and coming to him in faith. This morning, we talked about our faith partnering with our action and believing him as we go. And this evening, we're going to take a look at a story in the Bible about a king and what his faith looked like when the enemy was coming after him. And so we're going to turn to the Old Testament tonight, turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings 18, toward the front of your Bible. And I want to talk tonight, uh, this evening, about submission, surrender, and salvation. And I want to lay the back story, the backdrop for this first. We open up to 2 Kings, and we see this. The nations of Israel have once again turned to false gods. And they are not faithful to the one true God. And they are suffering because of it. And Assyria, okay, Assyria has taken over almost every nation in the land. They would come in, surround a city. The city would fall. Um, they would take over the people of the city. The city, city of, uh, people in the city would then be exiled. Okay, they'd be removed from where they were. They'd be stripped of their home, their possessions, their people, their community. And this was happening because God had told them to follow him, and they were not. And so we have this picture of just chaos and pain and idol worship, and it's really bad. People are sacrificing their own children on altars. And I just want to highlight one story of what uh, this looked like for the people at that time as Assyria is taking over all these lands. So Assyria goes in, and it goes in to take over Samaria, and it exiles all the Samaritans. And so the Assyrians then move into the land, and they don't worship the Lord, the one true God. And so God sends lions, okay, to the land, and the lions come and kill some of the Assyrians. So the king of Assyria starts to freak out, and he's like, oh my goodness, Okay, clearly we have upset the God of this land. Like they think, you know, every land has their own God they worship. Clearly we've upset the God of this land. So he says to his, his people, go to the Samaritans that we've exiled. Go get me a priest. Bring him back and have him teach us how we're supposed to honor the God of this land so we don't upset him anymore. And so that's what happened. They went back. They got one of the priests who was exiled to teach the new residents how to worship the Lord. Now you can imagine this. Imagine someone comes into your home. Steals it, takes everything, kicks you out, and then calls you and is all, hey, can you come back and teach me how to use a remote? Like, <laughs> hey, can you come, like, teach me how to work this AC unit? You'd be like, nah, nah, I'm good. I'm sure the priest was like, no, 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 you're fine with those lions. You earned those. But he didn't. He comes back. The priest comes back, teaches them how to worship the Lord, how to honor God. And so the people that have taken over that land, the Assyrians, they begin to worship God. They begin to worship the one true God and... And it says, they continued to worship the other gods and their false idols. And the Lord commanded them to be faithful and only worship him, but they did not obey, they did not listen, and they persisted in their former practices. And the scripture says, while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their own idols. Ladies, God set this up, right, from the very beginning. The formula is not God plus any other thing. It's not God plus something else. It's just God. Follow him. Worship him, obey him, find rest in him, find your value in him, live like him, seek first him, cast your cares on him, trust in him, love like him. It's all about him. But not much has changed from those early days when he established that with his people because we hear this and we know this, but we still have this tendency, right, to seek God and so many other things that we don't want to give up. And I get it, right? We like what we like. We're comfortable with what we know. We like the shows we like. 
right? We like the people we like, and we don't like the people we don't like. We like the things we buy, and we like to spend our money on the things we want to spend our money on. We like the food that tastes good to us. We like to scroll on our phones and veg out in front of a screen. We don't often want to feel our pain, and so we cast our cares onto Netflix, right? And my daughter, don't say you haven't done it. My daughter, Morgan, she's 11. She's in fifth grade, and she's just really honest, and she processes out loud. And um, she, I picked her up from school one day, and she said, Mom, I need to tell you something. I'm like, what? She goes, at recess today, my friend was, was really unkind to me, and she excluded me from playing. And I was really sad. And so I went to my backpack. I had a dollar, and I went and I bought myself an ice cream so I'd feel better. And I was like, oh. I said, okay, I'm sorry you were sad. I said, so you, you bought an ice cream so that you, because you were sad? And she said, yeah. And I said, oh. I said, well, I mean, man, if you ate ice cream every time you were sad, you'd probably be really unhealthy, right? That's probably not like the best thing to do. She goes, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, I don't normally do that. It was just because I was stuck at school. But if I was home, I would have just, if I was sad, I would have just like gotten a remote and watched a show on Netflix. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, I, yep, I can see that that would be an option too. I said, sweetie, did you, would, would you ever consider, did you ever think about talking to God about your sadness? and letting God comfort you in that moment? And she goes, well, I mean, I could, and sometimes I do, but God takes so much longer to comfort than ice cream. <laughs> Out of the mouths the babes. If that is not, ladies, the truest of true statements, I don't know what is. The thing about Morgan, though, is that she's honest, right? Uh, we're like, oh, I talked to Jesus about it, and I had the ice cream. <laughs> I watched Netflix, and I was talking to Jesus about it at the same time. No, Morgan's just like, no, no, this is what I did. And we realize that's just a Band-Aid, right? And God is right there going, I can do the deeper healing work. I can meet you in that really painful place. Would you let me? And so this is what's happening here in 2 Kings. The people are worshiping God plus other things. They're following him-ish plus following the things they are comfortable with and the things they know from their past. And God says, no, it does not work this way. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot have me and the world. And it's at this time that a 25-year-old named Hezekiah becomes king over Judah. And in 2 Kings, we're going to read right here, chapter 18, we'll start at verse 3. We read about who Hezekiah was. It says, he, Hezekiah, did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. Just as his ancestor David had done, he removed the pagan shrines, smashed the sacred pillars, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. Now, I want to pause right here because this guy, Hezekiah, clearly was gutsy. <laughs> like, yes, he removed and, and, and destroyed pagan altars and shrines, but it says he also broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made on God's command. You see, there's this story back in Numbers, I'm in Numbers 21, and you can look it up later. And this, I like, I just, I told you I love stories, so we're going to tell you the story really quick. Sorry, not sorry. But you guys, actually, one of you came up to me today, and it was like the highlight of my day. One of you came up to me, and you were like, last night, I got into bed, and I didn't have internet, and I didn't have anything to do, and like I don't read my Bible that much, it's kind of boring, I, just, I don't love it, and whatever, and I just was like, what am I going to do? I guess I'll read my Bible. And she goes, and I thought, I'm going to read my Bible how Deanna reads her Bible. <laughs> and she's like, I read it with like inflection and passion. She's like, it was awesome. She's like, I loved reading it. I was like, yes. Okay, you're right. We love the drama. Okay. 
So back in the day of Moses, God brought the Israelites who were wandering in the wilderness to the border of the promised land. And they should have been so excited. But when the people heard reports that there were giants in the land, they got overwhelmed and they lost their faith. And they didn't have faith that God could overcome those giants. And as a result of their unbelief, God sent them back into the wilderness. And while they were in the wilderness, they began to grumble and complain. And they got impatient and they were ungrateful. And so because they were acting like this, God sent poisonous snakes. (laughs) And the snakes bit the Israelites and many of them died. Okay, so if you've ever wondered if God cares about grumbling and complaining and our attitudes... Apparently, God cares to the degree at which he sends snakes to kill us. Okay, that's good to know. So the people, they went to Moses, and they were like, Moses, please tell God we're sorry. We are so sorry. We sinned against him, and would he please have mercy? And so Moses prayed to God, and God replied, okay, make a snake and put it on a pole. And anyone who gets bitten by a snake can look at it and live. And so Moses did that. He he made a bronze snake, put it on a pole, and when anyone was bitten by a snake, um, they looked at it, the bronze snake, and they lived. Ladies, God is a holy God, right? And, And when we are in sin, then, because he is holy, he has to deal with our sin. There's a consequence for our sin, but he is not just a God of judgment. He's a God of mercy. He is love. And so judgment is what we deserve, but his love compels him to mercy, and so he makes a way. He always makes a way. And so he tells Moses to make this bronze snake, put it on a pole. Moses obeys, and it works. When the people are bitten, if they looked at the snake, they were healed and they lived just as God promised, death to life. It's miraculous. So much so that we still use that symbol to this day. Right? When you see an ambulance, look for the symbol of a snake wrapped around a pole. God's fingerprints are on so much more than we realize. Right, ladies? Even to this day. So King Hezekiah comes on the scene, and this bronze snake on a pole has been preserved for more than 800 years. And it's supposed to remind the people of God's power and his faithfulness and God's ability to make a way where there seems to be no way. And yet now the people, though, are bowing to the snake. Like they're burning incense to the snake. Not to the God who's the power behind the snake, but like to the actual bronze snake. And how many times, that's like so relatable, how many times we do that to this day? God, thank you for this gift. And instead of worshiping for the gift, worshiping him for the gift, we just worship the gift. God, thank you for this job. I'm so grateful for this job. And then we misplace our identity in the job and we think that's what makes us significant. God, thank you so much for my children. Thank you for my child. And then our world becomes this child and their behavior and their success becomes the measuring stick for our success. God, thank you so much for my church and my pastor. What a great gift. I'm so grateful for my church and my pastor. And then all of a sudden we view our pastors as a celebrity and we brag about the size of our churches and we find ourselves in competition with other churches. These are supposed to be gifts. We don't worship the gift. We worship the gift giver. And so King Hezekiah knows this. And he says, fine, this bronze pole with a snake is distracting you. You want to worship it instead of the Lord? Great, done, I'll just destroy it. It doesn't matter how sacred it is. If it takes away from the Lord and the glory of the Lord, it's trash. So we continue in verse 5 to read about who Hezekiah was. Verse 5, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after his time. 
He remained faithful to the Lord in everything, and he carefully obeyed all the commands the Lord had given Moses. So the Lord was with him, and Hezekiah was successful in everything he did. So that's who King Hezekiah was. But at this point, the king of Assyria had overtaken all the lands in Judah and was now coming to attack King Hezekiah. So the king of Assyria sets up camp outside of Jerusalem, and then he sends his chief of staff to summon King Hezekiah for a little chat. Okay? Hezekiah, though, says, eh, I'm going to send my three top officials to meet your, king, your chief of staff. So they have this meeting at the city wall. And so we have, it's kind of this good versus evil. And so here's what happens then. Oh, we're, actually, I think we have this on the screen. I was going to kind of do synopsis, but I think we have 19. Yes. 2 Kings 18, starting at verse 19. This is what happens when they have their meeting. Then the Assyrian king's chief of staff told them to give this message to Hezekiah. This is what the great king of Assyria says. What are you trusting in that makes you so confident? You think the mere words can substitute for military skill and strength? Who are you counting on that you've rebelled against me? <laughs> on Egypt? If you lean on Egypt, it'll be like a reed that splinters beneath your weight and pierces your hand. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is completely unreliable. Verse 22. But perhaps you will say to me, oh, we are trusting in the Lord our God. <laughs> Isn't he the one who was insulted by Hezekiah? Didn't Hezekiah just tear down his shrines and altars and make everyone in Judah and Jerusalem worship only at the altar here in Jerusalem? So they're taking this thing that Hezekiah did, tore down false idols as a way to honor the Lord, and they're twisting it just to plant seeds of doubt. Man, how insulting to the Lord. Ooh, God must be so mad at him. There's no way God will help you. He's mad at you. Just little seeds of doubt, just taking something they felt so sure about and trying to just poke holes in it just to get them to question not just God's ability, but God's heart. So the story goes on, and Hezekiah's top officials respond. And it's so fascinating because they're like, hey, cool, we're having this conversation, but could you, like, speak in a different language? <laughs> like, all of our people can hear you and they understand the language you're speaking in. So can we talk in this other language? Like, maybe talk in code. Have any parents ever done that with kids? You're, like, talking to your spouse and you're all, ooh, they can hear us. Like, ooh. Um, that is what's happening here. King Hezekiah says to the king of Assyria's people, he's like, can you just, like, not talk so our people can hear? We'll just have this as adult conversation. And this is how they respond. This is what the Assyrian chief does. And he says, next, verse 28. Then the chief of staff, uh, no, 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 sorry, hold on, he goes back, oh, I didn't put this on the screen, I'm sorry, I apologize, you guys, I met with the person back there, I was like, we'll put this one and not this one, and now I forget which one I told her. Okay, so I didn't throw this on, so let's not put that one up yet. Okay, so when, he, when they say that to the chief of staff, like, hey, can we, like, switch it up and not talk so everyone can hear, they reply, oh, you think that, like, the Assyrian king only wants you guys to hear? Like, you think this is just a message just for Hezekiah? No, no, no. We want all of your people to hear. Because all of your people are going to suffer just like you're going to suffer. In fact, they go on to specifically say, your people are going to be so hungry and so thirsty, they're going to eat their own dung and drink their own urine. Like, they get, like, so... <laughs> they get very specific with their threats. And then look what this king of Assyria, the Assyrian chief does and says next. This is verse 28. Now it's on the screens. Then the chief of staff stood and shouted in Hebrew, the language of the people, to the people on the wall. 
Okay, he's talking to King Hezekiah's people here. Listen to this message from the great king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He will never be able to rescue you from my power. Don't let him fool you into trusting in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely rescue us. This city will never fall into the hands of the Assyrian king. Don't listen to Hezekiah. These are the terms of the king of Assyria's offering. Make peace with me. Open the gates and come out. Then each of you can continue eating from your own grapevine and fig tree and drinking from your own well. Then I will arrange to take you to another land like this one, a land of grain and new wine, bread and vineyards, olive groves and honey. Choose life instead of death. Ladies, does that sound eerily familiar? Look at the tactics this king of Assyria is using. Don't listen to your king. This food I'm, I'm promising will be amazing. Choose life instead of death. Does that sound familiar? Right? Let's take a look at another enemy. There was an enemy in the Garden of Eden. He said the exact same thing to Adam and Eve. I wouldn't listen to what God's saying. He told you not to eat from that one tree, but the truth is, if you eat that fruit he said not to, you won't die. You'll have life. You'll have the knowledge of God. Choose life instead of death. The tactics are the same. The enemy has not changed. He is so uncreative. <laughs> Sometimes we forget that, and I just want to say it plainly. The enemy is so uncreative. Same old, same old. And this message from the king of Assyria continued. He's shouting to all the people. Verse 32. Don't listen to Hezekiah when he tries to mislead you by saying, the Lord will rescue us. Have the gods of any other nation been saved, uh, ever saved their people from the king of Assyria? What happened to the gods of Hamath in Arpad? And what about the god of Seraphazam? Oh, no. Seraphavam. Hena and Iva. Did any god rescue Samaria from my power? What god of any nation has ever been able to save its people from my power? So what makes you think that the Lord can rescue Jerusalem from me? Oh, friends, now the enemy's getting personal. You see, he's here listing nations by name and saying, oh, you think the Lord's going to rescue you? Every nation's had a god they trusted and worshipped. I've overcome them all. You want me to remind you? What about this nation names it? What about this nation names it? What about Hamath and Arpad? You know the stories. You know how they ended. He gets personal names, towns, specific places, specific people. And we have an enemy that gets so personal with us too. You think God can save your marriage? What about this family you know? What about that family you know? That husband never changed. What makes you think yours will? There's ending a divorce. What makes you think yours won't? You're single and you think you're going to get married someday? Well, it hasn't happened yet. What makes you think you will? I mean, you know that person. And you know that person. I mean, they're great quality people and they're still single. You think you're better than them? Is that what this is? You think God can heal your body? But you have cancer. You believe he can actually heal? Really? I mean, you want to cling to hope when you know the statistics? The enemy 
is so uncreative, but he's also so personal in that he wants to speak lies to the most tender places of our stories. And we have to remember that his native language is lies. That's what Jesus said about Satan, that when he lies, he speaks in his native tongue, his native language. And so here he is with Hezekiah, and it's like the Assyrian chief has access to the whole town's personal social media account. He's taunting and he's shouting directly to the people so every person can hear. He's speaking words of fear and anxiety. He's telling them who to believe and who not to believe. No relationship with them, but all the access to them. And I think we can learn something from Hezekiah's people and how they replied. Verse 36, after everything that was shouted to them, but the people were silent and they did not utter a word because Hezekiah had commanded them, do not answer. Ladies, did you know you do not have to engage and respond to every idea and thought you don't agree with? Do you know that you don't have to get into a fight on social media with strangers you don't know or people you haven't seen in 20 years? You don't have to do that. And I guess that's a different message for a different day. But (laughs) sometimes God says to speak, right? He says, speak up. And sometimes God says to be quiet. But most of the time we wouldn't know because we don't pause long enough to ask him. And Hezekiah in his wisdom had commanded them, do not answer. And they didn't. Imagine that. So that's how chapter 18 ends. And we start into chapter 19, and we see now that Hezekiah's staff is now going to him to deliver the news of everything that the king of Assyria shouted to his people. And Hezekiah hears it, and he tears his clothes, which is an act of grief and anger, and he puts on sackcloth, which is this token of mourning, probably what he feared, what was coming to his people. He's feeling the weight of the words that were spoken. And then he goes into the temple, And he sends his staff to go see Isaiah. And Isaiah is a prophet. And Hezekiah is looking to him to just get a word from the Lord. He's saying, I need wisdom. I'm not going to sit in my own thoughts. I'm not going to sit for hours and process it with my friends. I am sending you to Isaiah to see if he has a word from the Lord for us. And chapter 19, verse 5, we'll pick it up and read it right here. It says this. Verse 5, when King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with a sword. So God promises to save Hezekiah. And while Hezekiah is receiving this word from the Lord, guess what? The king of Assyria sends yet another message to him. Okay, this is the battle. Good versus evil, truth versus lies, fear versus trust. Starting at verse 9, jump to verse 9. So he again sent messengers, this is the king of Assyria, sent messengers to Hezekiah with this word. Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem will not be given to the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely, and you will be delivered? The very moment God is speaking truth and promises, the enemy shows up refuting the very words God's speaking. We have an enemy that does the same thing. 
The very words God speaks, the enemy is right there refuting and trying to incite fear and doubt. And fear, can we just acknowledge it? Fear sells. Fear comes to it and we come to us and we eat it up. The news peddles fear. Fear is the one, one of those, from a marketing standpoint, my husband was a business marketing major when he started in college. Fear is the number one driver for people. There's a reason why Satan uses fear. So Hezekiah gets this word from the Lord with promises to protect him. At the same time, he gets this letter from the king of Assyria who goes on once again. He starts naming the towns, naming the people, everything he's done, taking over, listing a detailed account of his victories. He's selling fear. But listen to Hezekiah's profound response to this letter. Verse 14, it says, Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. What an incredible image. Hezekiah spreads it out before the Lord, every detail before the Lord. He took the letter, he took the words, he took his fears, he took the facts, he took the lies, he took the threats and the taunting and the blasphemous words, and he took it all and he spread it out before the Lord. Friends, God can handle the details. He wants us to come with the details. And he doesn't just handle them or tolerate them, he cares about them. And Hezekiah did not just go to the Lord and say, like, oh, God, I'm just, like, struggling right now. Like, it's just, oh, it's hard. He could have, and that's okay. Sometimes that's okay. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit can take our groanings and bring it before the Lord. But there's something powerful at times in saying, God, I'm scared because, God, this just happened. God, this person just said this to me. God, I'm being questioned about this. And just laying it all before the Lord in detail, saying, God, what do you say about that? I know what other people might say about it. I know what I think about this. But God, what do you say about it? And Hezekiah did exactly that in his wisdom. He took it all in humility and surrender and laid it before the Lord, the only voice that mattered and the only person that could do something about what he was facing. And this was Hezekiah's prayer, verse 15. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib, that's the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God. So first he's worshiping, God, you are king. You are over everything. I put you in your rightful place. I acknowledge that you are God and I am not. And then he's asking, Lord, would you listen and hear and see that which is overwhelming to me? And then he goes on to the details. Verse 17. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. They've thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. I love what Hezekiah does here. 
He acknowledges what is true. Did the Assyrian army take over all those nations? Yes, that's real. That's true. Sometimes we feel hurt or scared or angry, and we do one of two things. A, we try to dismiss it. I'm fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. I'm going to be fine. It's totally fine. It's, it's cool. I'm good. Right? Or B, we let our mind run off and spin off to the worst places. I can't believe that happened. I can't recover that from that. I'll never forget that person. I'll never forget that that happened, right? But here's the beautiful thing that we are invited to do. We're invited to take truth and walk it to one of two places. This past year, I moved to Charlotte. I started attending a church, but I decided to join a Bible study at another local church in the area. And my Bible study teacher, her name is Elizabeth Poplin, and she is remarkable. And she gave us this beautiful picture of what we're invited to do with truth, and I want to share it with you tonight, how she shared it with me, okay? So we have an enemy over here that is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. His native language is lies. And we have Jesus over here. Okay, the cross is over here, and he's offering life and life to the full and speaking grace and truth and love. And we get to walk the truth to one of those two places every time. So we take our true statement and walk it to either place. Okay, let's, get, let's do some examples. Okay, I'm going to start with the truth. Lord, I didn't get the job I applied for. True. I was the perfect person for that job, and they couldn't see it. They didn't see my talents taking a step. No one sees my talents walking into the enemy. I'll never get the job I actually like. I keep applying and applying. I'll just keep on doing that and being exhausted. How am I going to pay my bills in the meantime? I'll have to sell everything I love. I'll lose everything. Oh, I'm so angry. How could you do this to me? And we end up here. Let's go back. We start with the truth. Same truth. God, I didn't get that job I applied for. I am so disappointed because I thought I was going to be a good fit. God, I know your plans for me are good. And I do believe that when you say no, there's a greater yes waiting in the future. But God, the waiting is so hard. Lord, would you help me to trust you in the waiting because I'm struggling? Lord, I remember your faithfulness the last time I was looking for a job. God, would you help me to have eyes to see you? Thank you that you are my provider, God. Help me to trust you in the waiting. Do you see that? Let's, do one, let's just do one more. God, I wasn't invited to that thing, right? True statement. I wasn't invited. I can walk it in two directions, the enemy or to Jesus in the cross. God, my feelings are hurt. True statement. They probably didn't invite me because they don't even think about me. That's the story of my life. No one thinks about me. My friends are probably don't even like me. No one likes me. I will always live a lonely life. What is the purpose of my life anyway? I have none. Start with the truth. Lord, I wasn't invited to that thing. And Lord, my feelings are hurt. Truth. God, why are my feelings so hurt? I wonder if it was just a misunderstanding. God, I know my value is not in what others say about me, but in who you say I am, but it's hard right now. Would you help me to remember who I am in you? God, who do you say I am? Maybe I'll have a conversation with my friend and just let her know that I'd love to be invited next time. God, thank you for comforting me when I feel alone. 
Ladies, the safest place to walk truth, every detail of our lives, is to Jesus. It's to the cross. It's the place where we can let our fears and our worries and anxiety die. We let the lies die and we fix our eyes on truth and on his grace and we listen to the Lord speak life. And King Hezekiah did exactly this. Fearlessly and with humility and honesty, he lays the truth before the Lord and one step and another step and he takes another step and he brings it. And then Isaiah, the prophet, comes back to Hezekiah and says to him, the Lord has heard your prayers. And he goes on to tell Hezekiah that because of the king of Assyria's arrogance and blasphemy, the Lord will protect Hezekiah and Jerusalem. And he will take care of the Assyrian army and the king will go back to where he came from. And the chapter ends with these words coming to fruition. Verse 35. That night... The angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. Hezekiah submitted to the Lord. He lived surrendered to the Lord, and the Lord saved him submitted, surrendered, and then saved. He was saved. Do you remember the bronze snake on the pole? The people were dying and did not know they could ever be saved from a poisonous snake that was biting them and killing them. But Moses prayed in faith, and God made a way and said, keep your eyes on the bronze snake on the pole, and you will be saved. The image of the very thing that is killing you, I will use to bring you life. A thousand years later, the people did not know that they could be saved from their sin that was killing them. But Jesus made a way and said, I will take your sin upon myself and I will die on a cross so that you can be saved. And to this day, the image of the very thing that was used to kill him reminds us that he brought us life. And maybe tonight, you don't know that you can be saved. Saved from your sin that separates you from God, saved from shame and brokenness, saved from what feels overwhelming, from what feels like a complete dead end. I want you to know you are not alone. And I want to close with a story that happened in our home just three weeks ago. My son Jackson, who I told you about, he's 18, he's a senior in high school, and he was getting ready... <coughs> to fly to California back here for spring break. And he was gonna get to spend the whole week with his great group of friends here that he loves and misses. But he also has a lot of other things on his plate. And he was applying for a scholarship at college, the college he's going to next year, and he had to um, create an audition video for that scholarship. He also was invited to lead worship for a men's retreat in our area, which was super exciting. And then he also had started taking a real estate course. And my husband had been talking to him about all of this. And so when we booked the flight to California, my husband said, hey, you have a lot of things on your plate. 
and I just fear that the real estate course is gonna take the back seat because it's not as fun as the other things, and I wanna let you know I'll make a deal with you. We'll buy you this flight to California, but you have to finish the course ahead of time. Okay, if you don't finish it in time, you can't go to California. It's just part of the deal. Jackson's like, okay, great. So he's been going for a couple weeks. We get to the week that he's supposed to leave in a couple days, lead worship for the men's retreat. The next day, he's flying to California spring break. We are in the kitchen, and we're sitting at the kitchen table, and Jackson turns to us and says, Dad, um, I just need to tell you that, like, there's just no way I'm going to get the real estate class done. Like, there's just not enough time. There's no way I can get it done before this, before this weekend of the trip. So, like, I, like, I don't know what to do, but I'm just telling you, like, I just can't do it. And so John looks at him and says, okay, well, that was kind of the deal, right? Like, in order to go to California, you had to have the class done, right? And he said, yeah, I get it, Dad, but, like, what do you want me to do? Like, what are my options? And John's like, well, why don't you tell me? Like, what, what have you thought of? What, what, could, what could you do? And Jackson goes, well, I, I, there's nothing I can do, Dad. There's no, like, there's no, there's nothing, I, I don't have enough time. I, don't have, I do not have enough time in the day to do the course and complete it in time. So I guess, I don't know. And so John said, okay, so what's the plan? And Jackson goes, well, I guess I'm not going to California. I guess I'm canceling my flight. And so John goes, okay, okay, yeah, I guess that's all you can think of. Yeah, that's all I can think of. Okay, well, is there any other idea? I mean, John's like, I'm, I'm thinking of a few things or anything else, you know, that you could do. I don't know. I mean, I think that's it. Well, okay, I guess I could, like, tell the men's retreat. I can't lead worship. I have to do my real estate thing, and I just can't lead worship anymore. And so John goes, okay, yeah, that's an option. Great, what else could you do? Well, I'm, I have this audition video that's due to get a scholarship for college, but I guess I could email them and say, like, I just can't reach the deadline. Could you, you know, can I just, like, turn it in late? And John goes, okay, yeah, that's another idea. Okay, keep going. And Jackson's getting agitated, and I'm sitting there getting a little agitated. <laughs> and I'm like, well, John, you know, I'm like starting to jump in, and John just kind of calmly looks at me and goes, um, hey, yeah, well, like we can talk, can we just talk about this offline maybe in a little bit? Just, can you just, you know, let me, yeah, sure. And so, and so Jackson's like, okay, well, I mean, I guess that's it. That's all my options. And Jackson, John's like, okay, well, I guess. He's like, Dad, I just don't understand. Like, what do you want me to say? Like, what, what else is there? There's nothing else I can possibly do. There's no way I can do it all. So, like, what do you want? I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I'm so frustrated right now. Like, he's just so, he's getting angry and he's getting mad and all the things. And so John looks at him and he says, Jackson, he says, do you think I'm a good father? And Jackson goes, yeah. <laughs> and he says, do you know how much I love you? And Jackson's like, yes, Dad, I know how much you love me. And John goes, Jackson, I'm your number one fan. And I'm sitting there, you guys. And I go, <laughs> And John literally looks at me, looks back at Jackson and goes, I'm your number one fan. <laughs> I dealt with that one later. <laughs> he says, Jackson, I have to tell you that I... I'm so excited that you got invited to lead worship for this men's retreat. I think it's an awesome opportunity. I think that God's going to use you powerfully. I think that's really cool. And I want you to go lead worship for that. I think that's awesome. And Jackson, I hope that you do your best on your audition video and that you can submit it. And I pray blessing over that. And I want you to get that scholarship. I want you to get that opportunity. And he said, and Jackson, I want you to go to California so bad. I love your friends in California, and I want you to have that time. I think that's so important for you. I think it fills your cup, and I want you to go. 
And he said, in Jackson, the real estate class is super important. And it's a commitment that you made. And it's important that you finish it out. And we set that deadline, right? And Jeff's like, yeah. And he said, the one thing you didn't say to me, Jackson, is you didn't come to me and say, hey, dad, I know I committed to this thing and this was our deal. But like, I didn't manage my time right. And I'm running out of time. And there's no way I can get this class done. Dad, is there any way you could just like offer me grace and like maybe we can push that deadline back and I can finish it when I get back from California? And Jackson looked at him and his, his chin started to shake and his lips started to quiver and he said, I didn't know grace was an option. And then he said it again, I, don't, I didn't know, Dad. I didn't know grace was an option. I didn't know grace was an option. And then all of a sudden he closed his eyes and his, started, his shoulders started to shake, and he said, I didn't know grace was an option. And he said, there's so many people that don't know grace is an option. They don't know that grace is an option. They've thought of every possible outcome. They've thought of every possible way that they can get through, and they keep hitting dead end and dead end, and they think that it's just the end. They think there's no possible way out, and they don't know that grace is an option, you guys. The world doesn't know that there's grace that's an option to them. And Jack, John sat there and he was like, yeah, so we can move that real estate class back. <laughs> and Jackson looked at John, I'm not kidding, he goes, this isn't about real estate anymore, Dad. <laughs> the Holy Spirit broke my son's heart in that moment. For those that don't know that grace is an option, and I'm here to tell you tonight, ladies, that grace is an option. And maybe you don't know that grace is an option. Or maybe you thought, I know grace is an option for other people, but me, I've gone too far. I've done too much. There's no way that God's grace could meet me. And I'm or maybe you think, there's no way that God's grace could really make a difference because of how deep and far and how much I, no, 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 I'm here to tell you that God's grace is real and it can absolutely change your life and transform your life. God knows. God knows your story. God knows the brokenness in our lives. He knows our sin, the sin, the ways that we mess up. The sin is what separates from us from God. And God loves us too much to leave us in a broken, separated state with him. And so God came down in the form of Jesus as an infant child, as a vulnerable infant. He entered the world just like you and I entered the world so he could have a relationship with us because he's a relational God. So we could say to him, God, do you even understand? Like, do you even know what I'm going through? Do you know what it's like to, to just weep and cry out of so much sadness and grief? God goes, oh, I know what that's like. God, do you know what it's like to have your best friend betray you? Do you know what that's like? Jesus goes, oh, I know exactly what that's like. And he came and he lived life and he lived a perfect life as an example to us. And then he died on a cross for our sins. He gave up his life. He took on our sin. He died on a cross from our sins. And then he rose from the dead three days later to conquer death once and for all. And here's the thing. This happened 2,000 years ago. It's already done. There's nothing you can do to earn God's love. There's nothing you can do to earn to say, like, God, will you please die for my sins? Will you no, no, no. It's already done. He died and he rose. He's in heaven waiting for you. All we get to do is just accept his gift of grace. 
The Bible says if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and believe that he, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's it. That's it. We just, by faith, in humility, receive the gift of grace. And so I just want to take a moment right now and just pray together. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I just want to lead us in a prayer. And if you've never, never said to God, God, I trust you and I want to follow you with my life. If you've never done that, I just want to invite you right now to pray with me. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. These are not magical words. This is just a prayer between you and God that you can pray in your heart and know that God hears and he sees and he's with you right now. Just say, God, thank you so much for your love for me. Thank you that you love me just as I showed up this weekend. God, I confess that I sin, that I mess up, and God, that I've been far from you. And so tonight, I want to say thank you for loving me enough to come and die for my sin. Thank you for your gift of grace. Tonight, I just want to say yes. I humbly accept your gift of grace. And God, from this day forward, I want to follow you with my life. I want to do life with you. I want to trust you. I want to have faith in you. Thank you, Lord. There's nothing I could do to make you love me less. There's nothing I could do to make you love me more. <laughs> Your love is perfect and complete right now. And so, God, tonight, I want to start a relationship with you. Ladies, if you prayed that prayer with me right now, man, I would love to know and go home praying for you. How this room would love to know go home, going home praying for you. The Bible says that when you acknowledge me before man, I'll acknowledge you before God. God says, hey, guess what? This is a huge, incredible, celebratory moment. And so I'm going to ask you to do something kind of bold, okay? Knowing that you are in a room by people that love Jesus and love you. And if you prayed that prayer with me right now, tonight, would you just stand where you are to your feet and just say, and just stand up. You don't have to say anything. Just stand up and go, and that's your, your action of faith. Yes, amen, God sees you. Yes, amen, God sees you. And God sees you. And God sees you and you. Amen, welcome to the family. And you, God loves you. And you, God loves you so much. Yes, God sees you. And he loves you and he receives you with grace and love. And he sees you and he looks on you with love and grace and compassion. He sees you and he loves you and he sees you. Anyone else? Anyone else that says, okay, I was like a little bit nervous. I don't want to be the one. Yes, God sees you. Anyone else? Yes, God sees you. And he loves you. Oh, Father God. We thank you for the gift of your grace. We thank you for the gift of relationship, God. We thank you that you made a way. We thank you that you made a way to save us. We're so grateful, God. And we rejoice and we celebrate that you offer us life and life to the full. I pray over these women that made decisions tonight, God. I pray that the people they are sitting around would surround them, that they would have a community of women that would love them, God. Would you surround them with people that love you and love them, that they would walk with them daily as they seek to follow you with their life. God, thank you, thank you, thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.